0: It, it's just so vastly important uh, hand in hand with the sale of our food has to be the safety and quality of that food. Food is our future. It's a slogan internally here at Quick Trip and, and with that has to be food safety.
1: You're listening to the QuickCast. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome into the QuickCast, the official podcast of Quick Trip. My name is Chris Callaway and since September is Food Safety Education Month, we thought it would be a perfect time chat with Evan Powell who works as the retail food protection manager here at QuickTrip. Evan, welcome onto the QuickCast. Thanks so much for having me man it's awesome to be here. So we'll get into food safety and everything that is involved with that coming up but first want to talk about you and your role and how you got into it. I see you started with QuickTrip in 2012 so just Mm -hmm. over a decade ago. Kind of take me through your career path here at QuickTrip and how you got interested in the in the science side of things. I mean, I
0: kind of, I kind of just wound up in it. I don't have a food science background, which is unique for for someone in in this world. But I just started in a retail store. Um, I work in a retail store. I didn't even work in the kitchen that much, and I wound up um, needing an internship with uh, internship credits at college up the road at Winona. I was able to get into the support center and actually just work in retail operations uh, under Paul Service, the food service director, who I work very closely with now. And Who you've had on before and uh just kind of do some day-to-day stuff some reports and whatnot on a temporary basis for them and uh, i I wound up transitioning to the food safety department at that time when my internship time was up and was able to stick around here in the office and really wind up in my current role working with uh, pretty much everything retail food safety so
1: and food safety has become such an important part of of what we do here, at Quick Trip, you know, it's something that you hear Scott Zitlow, John McHugh, Carl mm-hmm. Rick talk about. You know, they always mm-hmm. talk about the culture yeah. and and food safety really as being two of the biggest components of our company. And so, how does that kind of play into you know your your day to day role and you know how big of a adventure this is for the company?
0: i i would even take it a step further right we often reference don our our original owner and founder who i'm sure has been name dropped on this podcast plenty he was one of the ones to first say that you know there's really only two things that could take quick quick trip down from a business risk perspective and that is the decay of our culture or a foodborne illness outbreak um, as we got into food about 20 years ago so i mean there's really no higher level of support than the original owner and CEO taking it that seriously and and understanding the importance of food safety to us. Um, especially when I tell everyone this, there's kind, there can be a stigma around gas station food. I Mm -hmm. mean, it just is, um, it is a thing that's out there. We've worked very hard to combat that and I think our food service program kind of speaks for itself as far as, uh, uh, going up against other food offerings that are out there. So, um, It's just so vastly important uh, hand in hand with the sale of our food has to be the safety and quality of that food. We have these incredible loyal guests that come into our stores every day and uh, are are relying on that, that safety and quality of of our food and our offerings. So um, I guess I would just... I, I can't really emphasize it any more than that kind of sure. little story and, and background that kind of keeps us going every day is is just the, the senior management and ownership buy-in. Food is our future. It's a slogan internally here at Quick Trip, and, and with that has to be food safety.
1: So ultimately, we want to keep our guests healthy. We don't mm-hmm. want anyone getting sick. But mm-hmm. what is it specifically that you're trying to prevent against?
0: Well, our number one goal is always to protect public health. You mm-hmm. just mentioned that, and we always say that in our training, more than anything, there's regulatory compliance, of course, health inspections and stuff like that. And, of course, the reputation we have as a, as a food destination that we're we're protecting as well, but more importantly than any of that, it's just really not acceptable to get anyone sick. I mean, annually in the United States, 48 million people wind up with a foodborne illness. That's one in six people that get sick, and um, 300, or excuse me, 128,000 of them are hospitalized, and even 3,000 of those people wind up dying from foodborne illness every year, and the scary thing is that those statistics haven't really changed over the years, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, so Knowing that background and, and understanding that it impacts so many people, anyone who's had foodborne illness knows how terrible it is, whether you wind up in the hospital or not. Um, with with that understanding and our guests' reliance on our, our food offerings, it's it's just uh, hugely important to us.
1: So what are those words that, that keep you up at night? Is it like E. coli and some <laughs> of those classic ones? Or kind of What are those ones that you, you don't ever want to see come across an email to you? Um... It, it really, it would be
0: foodborne illness concerns from, from people who believe that they got sick from our food, certainly. An outbreak, mm-hmm. uh, outbreak is a, is a big one. You see those in in the news, and and you know certainly we deal with recalls and withdrawals of of products that are either unsafe or not up to standard quality wise as well. So I, I guess those are some of the examples that we're really working to prevent and and uh, and make sure our guests are safe.
1: And I would imagine with the way that. Quick trip is constructed, you know, vertical integration. So mm-hmm. much of what we do comes right from here on campus. That puts more pressure on you and your team that more of the product is coming from right here too, right?
0: It it does. It's not even directly our team, though. I really, I really have to give give some shout outs to to other people. We have our corporate food safety department. We work very closely with a Bunch of different people, almost everyone in the organization, sure. one way or another. Um, in particular, one of the groups is the production quality assurance group. You mentioned that so much of the food comes from our facilities. Uh, production quality assurance are the people that are in those facilities, the kitchens, the dairy, both of the bakeries that are monitoring things and, and, uh, even taking the samples that we analyze at our own lab here on, on campus as well. Um, they're really the ones that, that make it happen with our own food production uh, as, as it relates to um, what goes on on our campus and, and what we're supplying our stores ourselves.
1: So let's talk about the campus. You mentioned all those different yeah. facilities, but let's start right with the food safety mm-hmm. building. I mean, it's got mm-hmm. its own dedicated building. That's yeah. how serious we take it. Mm-hmm. Um the, the team that you work with there, can you kind of tell me about, you know, that, that kind of internal team? You mentioned all those production facilities, but mm-hmm. that, that smaller team uh, mm-hmm. that you work on to head up food safety here at Quick Drip. Mm-hmm. Definitely, our our corporate
0: food protection department. We actually call it, although food safety is the more common term. Um, we really work with our whole food supply chain. We work with category management to only buy from approved suppliers that have supplied very specific information to us that that proves that they take food safety as seriously as we do. Uh, we can do everything we can and 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 everything to prevent. Foodborne illness but if we have a supplier that, that doesn't take it that seriously then that could cause trouble for us so we we have a pretty thorough vendor approval process uh, obviously our whole supply chain not just production facilities but the distribution center and the convenience transportation team we have people in the DC that work with uh, the the daily deliveries to all of our stores and the warehousing of that product as well um, And then all the way out to retail, which I I think is, like I said, the the one that I deal with the most. Uh, We have Paul Service and Christina Hansen, who are our food service directors. And then there's 32 food service district leaders out there that report to Paul and Christina Hansen. And their marching orders really are to sell more food safely. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a dotted line there where I work closely with almost all of them. They conduct food safety audits in the stores. They work with corrective action plans for those audits and health inspections. They certainly work with emergency response. If there's a power outage that impacts the temperature of the food, I mean, we could go down quite the rabbit hole, right? So um that's kind of the corporate food safety department. And then it also extends with, within the food protection group is the food protection laboratory. Uh, a lot of food production facilities, in fact, all of them should be um, taking samples of their environment for these pathogens. Like you mentioned, E. coli and those those productive facilities have different uh, pathogens of concern, but they're they're sampling. They're trying to understand what is in their environment that could really make its way up the prep table and into the food. Right. And we wound up building a lab directly on site here to analyze those samples and understand, you know, use science to make decisions as it relates to food safety and our food supply chain. Uh, They take samples of some of the incoming raw ingredients as well as the finished product. And then, like I said, all the environments, um, which really Again, science really helps with decisions. I, I mentioned I don't have a food science background, but they sure do, Sure, and they, they, it, really, it really helps our production facilities understand. And it's, it's great to have it on site because they don't have to ship it off to a third-party laboratory. Uh, it just is part of the vertical integration
1: and so the stereotype I have in my head is lab coats and microscopes and that's really what's going on here and the there
0: of- are lab coats <laughs> and there are microscopes and I wish I could tell you more about it uh, there, there's so much that goes on in in that lab I'm pretty sure there's hundreds of thousands of samples that mm-hmm. are that go through the lab every year that uh, they, they take from those production facilities again the production quality assurance group takes some of those samples drop them off and they analyze them there's someone in there Every day of the year. Sure. So one's 365 days a year with, with our food production. So, um, your stereotype
1: is correct. Right. Yeah. Cause if we're making milk and ice cream every day, there's somebody that's got to be making sure mm-hmm. that it's safe every single day. Right. Exactly. And
0: you don't have the luxury of just waiting around to ship it out. You know, you need to analyze those samples and understand the results as quickly as possible and, um, be, be able to take action as, as soon as you can.
1: So you know, there's the dairy adage of from cow to store in 24, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to get it safely into our consumer's hands as freshly as possible. Mm -hmm. At some point, food safety has to kind of give it a green light and say, yep, we're good to go. Yep, yep, Ex- exactly. Yeah, with with the lab, um, I believe
0: there's a lot of things where they will release the product. They they essentially uh, uh, send out the certificate of analysis. It says what the results were. And uh, certainly if there's anything that is outside of the normal limits that would uh, result in additional action being taken, maybe additional samples around an area in the environment or something like that to see like has this spread.
1: Mm-hmm. So And so maybe some restaurants You'll get like a one pass through from the health inspector once a year, whereas a quick trip, it's maybe a little higher scale, a little higher priority than that, would you say? Or, you know, not every restaurant has... A dedicated food service, food food safety department. Excuse me, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. with basically 850 restaurants, you need a little bit more resources allocated there. I, I would say so. I mentioned, you know, with,
0: with talking about our retail stores, and and all of them have kitchens of some sort. Mm-hmm. Even you know the stop and go brands, and and the tobacco the plus grocery, or Frost and Bakery back there, and everything. Sure. Um, but you're right. Health inspectors will come out and do their thing, and we do have a great relationship with our regulators, and that's a very important piece of the puzzle. We work. Closely with the state and the county health departments and agriculture departments. We're very transparent with them. We want them to understand that we're on the same page. We're trying to prevent the same thing. uh, Any foodborne illness type issues and that if they ever see anything that, that causes concern, they can reach right out to us. But they'll come in, they'll do their thing. They'll do their health inspection. We appreciate that extra set of eyes in <laughs> in the stores. Uh, but we also do three audits per year sure. that are food safety audits. You could call them mock health inspections. Sure. That, uh, again, three per year in the store. The FSDL, FSDL does one of those, and then a third party company does oh, cool. two of them. Okay. So we have those third party eyes. We let the FSDL do one. And then the FSDL also reviews the corrective action plan that the store enters for any violations.
1: So, and, and so that whole FSDL structure obviously didn't exist mm-hmm. day one here at quick trip but it's sort of been an evolution of the food program as a whole whereas mm-hmm. we need 32 as you said dedicated positions to, mm-hmm. to food safety at all of our stores and 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 it it grows every year
0: sure. you know it, it grows as we need them as we expand as as quickly as we do it, it it grows frequently but yeah there's 32 of them right now and you know they 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 have generally 30 stores or so that they work with in an area. It's almost like a regional manager type role. Um, and, and, not, not just food safety, they work very closely with food sales and food service. They help hire the food service leaders that kind of run the kitchens as well. Um, and and so kind of, we like to think of it as about half as like food safety, the stuff I described earlier. And also they work with, you know, selling more food and, sure. and growing our food program and minimizing the waste of the food program. They they do a ton for us and and we just, uh, we really appreciate them. They kind of make it happen out in the stores.
1: And our, our food program has only Grown over the years. Uh, A big change over the last couple of years was fried chicken, Mm -hmm. which I would imagine added a whole (laughs) extra layer of fun on your part because everybody knows raw chicken equals salmonella, Mm -hmm. you know? And so. So you cook it right exactly <laughs> and so you want the the proper protocols in place mm-hmm. and i've seen some of the trainings and how detailed it is mm-hmm. what is what goes into your side of when you know they decide okay we're doing fried chicken you know you got your work cut out for you uh yeah it was a bit of a panic
0: i would say <laughs> uh, when they came back and said that was going to happen but um you know it has tremendously grown our, <laughs> our food program we have fantastic chicken and although it does add a risk from the food safety side you just have to develop the training to go with it and the processes to go with it that's really where we come in Mm -hmm. we work with the you know paul and christina and the fsdl team to make training that can speak to coworkers that they can understand and and then train other people on in the kitchen as they want to you know grow the program so we put in a lot of effort i wound up at almost all the stores that rolled out chicken for a while um, that was just kind of how it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, before then we had never done anything raw. Sure. So now we bring in fresh, not frozen raw chicken and hand bread it back in those kitchens, some of which are very small, and cook it and cook the salmonella out of it and uh, uh, you know package it for sale. And there's a lot of procedures that we had never had to deal with before mm-hmm. that that we wound up putting into place to to result in the safe handling of that.
1: Because it's one of those things where, you know, we probably could have taken the easy way out and gotten, you know, mm-hmm. fully cooked chicken mm-hmm. and dropped it in the oven and put it, you know, out. Of, but mm-hmm. it's it's not as good. And so we wanted the higher quality. And so we were willing to go through the extra steps and the extra mm-hmm. expenditures to be able to give our guests a better product.
0: And I think it's proven itself. I think we've, we, we sell more chicken than we do anything else now. Uh, there's a ton of different ways that we use, use it, even use the leftovers into chicken salad croissants and, and stuff like that. So, um, we did, we, we, you know, that, that's just kind of the way Quick Trip operates, sure. you know, um, if we really, really thought that it would have added too much risk or it was something we couldn't handle. I don't think we would have done it, but, you know, we're, we're confident. We have amazing coworkers. You know, I've spent this time talking about the food service district leaders and 32 of them, but there's so many coworkers out of retail food service leaders, they're certified training food service leaders that bring in other leadership into their store and, and train them on the job. Uh, all those, all those coworkers really make it happen out in the stores. And, uh, we're, we're very, very confident in our chicken program and the sure. safety of it.
1: And, you know, it wasn't too far ago that i would imagine most of your day-to-day was was talking about COVID. correct you know having to (laughs) adapt just like pretty much every other factor of the economy and culture and everything Mm -hmm. how from from that first day in march i mean what what changed what happened what kind of got brought to the limelight that was something more we needed to focus on
0: well, I don't think anyone had a plan. And that's what sure. we say. We, we look back and, and who really has a plan for a pandemic? Mm-hmm. You know, We did wind up being the department that that handled a lot of it in conjunction with, of course, everyone else in the organization, retail and HR. But I think some of the things that helped us is we already have high standards for cleanliness sure. in the stores. We have uh, high standards for hand washing, mm-hmm. in, particularly while working with food, right? So I don't think it was that big of a stretch to maybe ask our coworkers to... Sanitize those touch points or, um, you know, wash their hands more frequently. The other thing is we have an illness policy, and although it was geared towards retail and those foodborne illness symptoms, where that person should not be working with food. They might have that foodborne illness that could spread. So we exclude them from the establishment. Well, we were able to adapt that illness policy and the illness log where we document those symptoms and illnesses in case the health inspector ever requested that if they were investigating a foodborne illness outbreak, we were able to kind of adapt that where it became... um, The COVID illness policy Mm -hmm. as well. It had those COVID symptoms. It had guidance from the CDC on how long they need to be out of work, if they were diagnosed or if they were a close contact, so on and so forth. And I I think we we want a lot better off than other people, even other convenience store chains. We're we're very thankful for that. I think it just uh, speaks to having pretty high standards can can help in an unexpected situation. So we were able to kind of use that illness policy and that illness log to just manage it. Um, those regulatory relationships. we were able to communicate with them and and essentially just just, uh, manage the process and, and try and keep our coworkers and guests as safe as possible throughout that.
1: So it wasn't necessarily, you know, throwing out the playbook and start from scratch. It was really kind of emphasizing a lot of the standards and practices that were already in place.
0: Yeah, exactly. There, there was, there was some new stuff for sure. sure. I mean, there's a lot of symptoms we weren't used to dealing with people that can't smell or taste or <laughs> sure. something like that doesn't necessarily mean they have a foodborne illness and couldn't work in the kitchen before, but, but all of a sudden you need to keep that in mind. So, you know, there was a lot of new things. Things we were, were looking uh looking through, trying to understand mask mandates, new regulations, and, and stuff like that that we had to to navigate. But um again, we have amazing coworkers, amazing leadership that that made it all happen throughout that. And here we are. I won't I won't say on the other side, sure. but um you know it's it certainly feels that way, and 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 I, I think uh it's become less of a factor, I guess.
1: And so how does that play into some of the Risk management that you're trying to mitigate in the future? I would say, um, with regards to
0: like COVID and, and illness law. I, it almost escalated things even further. And and now hopefully they're, they're still in place, uh, to, to a certain extent, just with regards to like personal hygiene and, and understanding symptoms and illnesses and, and that the illness policy exists and, and that we have certain expectations for cleanliness. And, you know, again, it's, it's not as intense as it once was, but we're, we're kind of able to, um, keep our eye on that as, as, as we move forward. So,
1: so kind of off topic then like when you go into a restaurant are you kind (laughs) of looking at where they might be falling in their food safety regulations now that that's kind of the world you live in
0: um it's funny you say that because people will tease me if i have like my thermometer with me or something (laughs) like that you know like i'm going to be taking the temperature product or, or or something i i don't i might notice a little bit but i i can't ever bring myself to say anything or, or take any action or on anything, unless I like wound up with like raw chicken or, sure. or something like that, you right. know, something extreme. But, um, even, even in the world that I exist in for, for work at your food safety, at quick Trip, um, I'm,
1: I'm not really, I'm not really too observant if I go into a restaurant. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So in your mm-hmm. mind, how does food safety continue to evolve you know you always feel like you're at the cutting edge and then you learn something new how how do you feel like food safety will continue to progress moving forward
0: i think in a lot of areas there's opportunity for continuous improvement you're (laughs) really never done you know i i think that's the case in our world as well um we we really just continue to talk about the highest risk topics, the things that causes foodborne illnesses. You know, the number one in the United States is improper hand washing. So, we just cannot talk about that enough. You know, proper glove use, change them when they're contaminated, wash your hands frequently throughout your shift. Um, temperature control of products is is one of the, the important ones. I mentioned buying from reputable suppliers before as well. Um, we, we frequently Obviously, train. We have a, a robust training program of of all of our coworkers. It's elevated for leadership. We have certified food protection managers, which is the studying and exam for all of our store leaders and assistant store leaders as well. And uh, and then. I just came from a meeting today where we talked with all those food service district leaders, and there's a food safety aspect to that meeting and what we call the meeting cycle, where uh, all the district leaders and food service district leaders get together. There's always a food protection at retail set of slides, topics that we cover that uh, trickle all the way down to the store meetings Mm -hmm. eventually. So.
1: So going back up the other way, at some point you have to deal with government regulations and the mm-hmm. FDA. Um, I know that there's a there's new era of smarter food safety. What can you tell me about that?
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of evolution, it's kind of the way <laughs> forward with regards to food uh, regulations go. Um, there's these four pillars that they're talking about that really is kind of the way forward. It is the new era of smarter food safety. Um the two that I specifically wanted to mention that I think people could uh, take something away from is uh, food safety culture. Um, is it? It's essentially using sociology and psychology. Is it the norm in a retail environment such as ours to wash your hands, to to close coolers, to be monitoring temperatures, to follow the illness policy? Is it? Is it the the norm? Would it be? Would it be abnormal or weird to um, do something? different to deviate from that, you know, they're, they're kind of looking at it from that psychological perspective where is, is, is your cult? do you have a culture of food safety mm-hmm. and how do you quantify that? You know, like, like, is there a way to measure that and improve it? Sure. And. We've kind of started out with that. I think it's a ways out from being an actual regulation, but you know, we've ta- we've surveyed some of those food service district leaders about where they think we're at on certain topics and and where we can potentially mature, where we could get better at, and I think we're going to use that going forward. Um, the other piece is tech-enabled traceability, which I think is an important one. Do you remember a couple of years ago where they said? Don't eat any of the romaine lettuce. Sure. Yeah, I remember. They that. said <laughs> they said don't eat any of it. Yeah. Like it wasn't a brand, it wasn't from one store, they just said don't eat any of it. That's because they had essentially interviewed people who were sick and they said, "Well, yeah, I had a lettuce salad." And unfortunately, so many times over the past couple of years, lettuce has been the culprit of people getting sick. But they weren't able to trace where it came from. They sure. weren't able to narrow down a supplier or a farm or even a restaurant that procured it to use. So they just said Don't eat any of it, you know? And obviously that creates a lot of unnecessary food waste Uh out there. Um, And and probably plenty of... Farmers doing the right thing. They're like, what the heck? Exactly. I mean, they weren't able to sell their romaine. In fact, I hate to say it, but here at Quick Trip, we, we we try and be proactive with a lot of that stuff. We discarded any romaine lettuce that we had, like a lot of stores did, but some of that was greenhouse grown here in Wisconsin. Yeah. There is no way that was the culprit. Sure. Um, and, and of course, it didn't wind up being the culprit of the people who got sick, but it would have been wrong of us to keep that romaine lettuce on the shelves when the regulars were saying, don't eat any of it. Uh So tech enabled traceability is essentially, we're in the year 2023, Uh there's technology out there. Let's find a better way to utilize that technology to identify the exact lot codes that went where, you know, what farms did it come from? So if a certain group of people say they ate lettuce from whatever environment or excuse me, uh, uh, from whatever restaurant or, or bought lettuce from whatever store that they can... Quickly trace that back instead of looking through paper records, for example, sure. to be able to identify the source and more quickly remove the actual culprit of what's getting people sick, without throwing away the rest. Right. You know, so okay. that's that's kind of the background, and and again, it's something we're working towards. We have a huge food supply chain, um, ton of food vendors as well that we we work with. Um, not even to mention our own uh, production facilities, sure. and to be able to trace that all the way down to 850 retail stores is going to be. Quite the quite the project, but um, I, I think uh, it's important. It's sure. important for the reasons I just mentioned.
1: So, so we're not going to be putting a microchip in every single banana to know <laughs> right where it came from. It's just kind of identifying where in the supply chain remove that and let everything else kind of keep moving.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no microchips and bananas or, or any other type of food. No, that's that's certainly not the intent. So,
1: so you spend. So much of your time, you know, working with food safety, retail food some nonprofit types of organizations, helping mm-hmm. to, to give back a little bit too, right? Yeah.
0: The food rescue program has has fallen under our wing for for many years now. Uh it's it's a partnership with Feeding America. It is, you know, as, as passionate as I am about food safety and, and everything that we just talked about. Um Managing the food rescue program has been really, really rewarding because we work with 14 regional food banks that wind up uh, pairing our stores with a local food pantry wherever the store might be. About 90% of our stores have a local food pantry partner and they'll go and pick up Pick up food once or twice a week from from each location. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often if they can, and wind up with food that's that's donated. That obviously isn't unsafe, but maybe not the quality that we would want to sell. It's close to expiration, sure. for example. Um, there's a bunch of items that we can donate. Uh, we donate produce that, like I said, it, it might be bumped up a little bit or, you know, a, a more brown banana, but it's not worthless, right? <laughs> it could go to someone in need. Um, and this year, we're on track to donate four million pounds of food. Wow. And since the program's inception in 2011, that'll put us over 20 million pounds of food. So it's we we work to, to connect our stores with these local food pantry partners and the regional food banks. And they they're amazing. They have an incredible mission, Feeding America in particular, to really end food insecurity, which unfortunately, over the past couple of years, has really grown. The demand for food banks has grown. So it's pretty amazing that uh, we're able to contribute to that. Um, our mission statement says to make a difference in someone's life, mm-hmm. and I, I just I think there's not really a better way to describe it than, than being able to partner with Feeding America.
1: So are most of our stores, if not all of our stores, kind of... Taking those products and getting them out the back door over to feeding America.
0: Yeah, they just set them aside in totes. I would say I would say about ninety percent of our stores sure. have a food pantry partner. Um, there's some that just just can't get set up with one if it's in a more rural area and sure. there's not a food pantry. And again, a lot of those food pantries are entirely reliant on volunteers that will go and pick up the food and take it back to the food pantry, especially the real small local ones. So um, you know, sometimes it just doesn't happen. But ninety percent of our stores. Uh, I think that's pretty good, and, and like I said, it, it makes a big difference. So they set the product aside in specifically labeled totes. They obviously handle it safely, sure. <laughs> it goes without saying. Um, it's an extension of our supply chain, so we we take that very seriously. And then, of course, we part of the reason we partner with Feeding America is they do verification of the handling on the food pantry side as well, so we can be sure that uh, the, the kitchen cravings branded item that is at the food pantry, which my understanding Helps reduce the stigma of the food pantry. Seeing sure. recognizable products uh, it is is certainly safe for the for the person using it as well.
1: Well, that's awesome. That's a really cool yeah. program that QuickTrip able to be a partner with. So, mm-hmm. I got a, a question for you, as mm-hmm. someone that's very involved in food. Yeah. If you were uh, stranded on a desert island, <laughs> which QuickTrip food item are you taking with you?
0: Um, that's a difficult question. Um, I, my, my go to, and I'm sure it's a popular one. I've, I've seen people raise their hands with this as, is, is their favorite as well as a spicy chicken sandwich. Nice. Yeah. As much as I love our fried chicken and mm-hmm. breakfast sandwiches and stuff like that, I think, uh, if I had to pick one, spicy chicken,
1: uh, what do you, do you go lettuce and tomato on it? Do you go spicy ranch? How do you, how do you dress it up? <laughs> um, I, I generally go mayo and pickles and onions. Nice. Yeah. Like that's like the move. It. Okay. There's an item on the roller grill as a controversial pronunciation. <laughs> are, you, are you tornado or tornado?
0: I think I have a little bit of lore for you. <laughs> I've been on social media for a while. Sure. And I'm pretty sure at some point someone on their, our beloved enthusiast club mm-hmm. DM'd Ruiz, the makers <laughs> of this and asked. And they said it's called Tornado. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop me from calling it a tornado. I mean I I work at Quick Trip. Yeah. I mean I I, I I know what it's called to us. Yeah, and
1: Paul service <laughs> is very adamant that it's Tornado. Uh-huh. So who would, who, hard, who would I be hard to, hard to deviate from it. that? Yeah. And then uh, speaking of dairy, are you team brown cap or green cap with our chocolate milk?
0: I got to go brown. I, I have to go brown. I love them both, of course. I know I, I, I'm heading right down the middle here, but I, if I had to pick one, I would go brown cap for sure.
1: And so it's just daunting on me that if you got to do food safety, you probably have a little insight into some of the fun like special LTOs that are coming down the line not that you can reveal anything but you're probably one of the the first people to know right um,
0: I, I think I probably have a bit of an inside track because we, we uh, love working with Paul and Christina and Jess over there to help make sure you know the, the recipe cooks the product for example. So while they're developing a recipe or or uh, deciding on certain things and certainly if it's something risky like a raw product like chicken, we're going to be involved for sure to be able to um, make sure that everything is uh, uh, solid and that we have the data to back up our decision before we go. So um, yeah. I think I have a
1: bit of an inside track but it's uh uh it's part of the job I guess. <laughs> cool. So what else? what's, what's next? What's what's the thing that uh, is coming up on your horizon? Here a quick trip that you're ex- excited about.
0: You know, I think uh I real quick Got to give a shout out to some people who, I, I will get to our event in a minute. We have an annual sure. food safety event for our vendors and regulators and whatnot. Um, some of the people that will be there, our risk management department too, I, I didn't get to mention them, but they they do amazing work for us tracking, you know, are we seeing a trend of a certain complaint of a type of product that kind of helps contribute to, in uh, the unlikely event we might have to recall or, or withdraw a product of our own, you know, we really try and track those complaints and get ahead of it like that um, as well. And then. And then um I mentioned category management too, but they they are amazing because they are the ones that have to go back to the vendors if sure. we do have a problem right? Um, and, and work with risk management to kind of figure out, do we have a bigger problem than, mm-hmm. than maybe just we're, we're seeing right now? They they come to our this event. It's our food protection, food safety in-service. Um, it works. It's in September for food safety education month. And what it is, is it's it's a free event. Uh, we, we do invite specific people, our, our vendors, quality assurance people, some of our regulators that we work with. Um, even other convenience store quality assurance and food safety people. Uh, We like to say that food safety isn't a competitive advantage. You know, if another uh, convenience store or gas station had some type of foodborne illness outbreak, there's people that would look negatively at all the convenience stores, right? So we have an event. It's a two-day event. The first day, we have tours of some of these production facilities that we talked about, the dairy and the the kitchens and, and the bread and bun plant. And then we also take them to a store on that first day. And then we all have... Go have dinner and it's a nice networking opportunity for all these essentially these quality assurance people to get to connect. And then the second day, it's it's kind of like a almost a food safety conference sure. internally at Quick Trip here. We bring in subject matter experts on um a lot of the topics we've talked about so far. There's a regulatory FDA update that's literally talking about traceability <laughs> and sure. food safety culture. Uh-huh. Um we have a uh, sanit- a couple sanitation speakers to talk about, you know, cleaning food facilities with so food production facilities is a big deal. Um it's essentially a food safety conference, and it's all free. It's free for them to attend. They have to be invited, but uh, we, we, we try and invite a lot of our vendor partners and, and relevant quality assurance people. And everyone can get together and just talk about the things that we're all kind of anxious about. Sure. And so um, that's coming up in September. That's what we're planning for right now. I think it's going to be an awesome year. It's our 12th annual one. So we've been doing it uh, for, for a while now, and uh, it's going to be wonderful.
1: And so the next time that you're at a quick trip or a quick star or really any of our locations, you see somebody wearing a hairnet or gloves, Mm -hmm. taking a soup temperature. Mm. Those are things that are just really the tip of the iceberg of some of the things you do.
0: That's that's correct. Yeah, that's that's the bare minimum of what we expect out there. They they do a lot more to keep our stores clean and our food safe for our guests. And again, they're, they're the ones that make it happen. We just we just kind of uh, try and interpret the food code, I guess. <laughs> right.
1: Very cool. Food Safety Education Month is September. So it was a great time chatting with you, Evan Powell. We appreciate your time and thank you for coming on the QuickCast. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Quick Cast. Hey, we'll see you next time.